morning, everyone. I'm Dan Wilburn. Macrianus heard rumors that the church had some treasure. So he sent for the leader of the church, Lawrence, to demand that they hand the treasure over to Rome. I hear that you who call yourselves Christians possess treasures of gold and silver, and you use gold vessels at your services. Is this true? Lawrence answered, the church indeed has great treasures. Then bring the treasure forth. Don't your sacred books tell you to render to Caesar all the things that are Caesar's? The emperor has need of treasure for defense of the empire. Lawrence reflected and said, in three days, I will bring forth the greatest treasures of the church. So the governor let Lawrence go free. And on the appointed day, Macrianus, attended by his officers, came to where the Christians usually met. They were met at the door and invited into an inner room. Are the treasures collected? They are, replied Lawrence. Will you enter and view them? With these words, he opened the door and displayed to the astounded gaze of the governor a row of the lame, a row of the blind, orphans and widows, the helpless and the weak. Astonished by the sight, the governor turned fiercely upon Lawrence, saying, What is this mockery? Where are the treasures of gold and silver that you promised? These that you see before you, replied the undaunted Lawrence, are the true treasures of the church. In the widows and orphans you behold her gold and her silver, her pearls and her precious stones. These are her real riches. Make use of them by asking for their prayers. They will prove your best weapons against your foes. Lawrence, St. Lawrence, was then arrested by the Roman governor, tortured, and beheaded. A Roman soldier named Romanus, or Romanus, who looked on the sufferings of St. Lawrence, was so much affected by the martyr's courage and faith that he became a convert to Christianity. As soon as this was known, the soldier was severely scourged and afterwards beheaded. Years about 257 A.D. in the Common Era, Christians not only had to put up with the full wrath of the Roman Empire who was seeking to eliminate them, mostly because they were filled with the lame and the poor and all these kind of off-caste people, and it was an easy way to get rid of them. Not only for 160 years had they been tortured and persecuted, they also had to deal with bizarre heresies, <clears throat> infighting, splits, people betraying them, turning them in. We have to keep in mind, you know, <clears throat> the New Testament had not solidified yet. It was some letters being passed around. And uh, we have to realize, like, any sort of strange belief or bizarre thing could invade the church. And uh, it had happened all the time. This morning, <clears throat> we're going to take a close look at those early Christians like Lawrence and what they had to deal with. <clears throat> we're going to look at our own times to see how well we're doing. Because in the life of the church right now, in the church calendar, a one-year-long church calendar, you know, the life of Jesus, we try and play it out around here like the rest of the church does. We're kind of in what's called the church time or the ordinary time. We're in the book of Acts, okay? And we're looking at how the church has... Uh, move forward 
And so that's why we look at this today. And also, you know, myself and Pastor Marta and Pastor Garrett, you know, we don't get real up in arms and all black and white and dogmatic, dogmatic and rant and rave about much. You know, we don't get all, we don't have a lot of starch and runnies when it comes to, you know, a bunch of theology and getting all sweaty about it. But every now and then, I do. And this is one of those days. And um, where it's like, you know what? There are some things that go on in Christianity that have infiltrated. And, and we got to be careful. You know, and I know it sounds like fear-mongering stuff. And that's not what I mean. I mean, like, we got to, here during the life of the church, we got to know what we believe. Okay? And then look around and see if we have correct beliefs. I think there's some stuff out there, as you'll perhaps see. So we begin this uh, with the heresies and bad teachings of the church, and then we'll talk about the persecution stuff. The very first heresy encountered was by the Apostle Philip. The Apostle means apostle means he was with Jesus. Uh, the Apostle Philip, and then later Peter and John find out what's going on with this early heresy. Here's how the very first heresy is really recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 8. So Acts, chapter 8, if you have your Bible with you, or if you want to look it up on your phone or whatever you got. Okay? Here's what it says. Now a certain man named Simon, this is not Simon Peter, this is a different Simon, okay? A certain man named Simon had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he was someone great. All of them from the least to the greatest listened to him eagerly, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. Or some translations say, he's got the great power. He's got the God power, you know. They listened eagerly to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed, the people believed Philip, who was proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were all baptized, both men and women. Even Simon the magician, yeah? Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he stayed with Philip constantly and was amazed when he saw the signs and great miracles that took place. And, and, you know, you thought that, like, money-grubbing faith healer kind of people were something just of, since television days or whatever. Like, no, 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 no. Just go all the way back to the beginning of humanity and Jesus' time and everything else in between. They've always been around. And Simon the magician is one of them. So Simon the magician, he becomes a Christian. But he's not real, he doesn't have it quite figured out. He's a little clueless. Rather than a real, genuine, heartfelt faith... Simon the magician is basically still holding on to his money, which is the interesting part. He's, he's more impressed with the signs and the miracles of the apostles like Philip because in his worldview, kind of being a huckster, he's like, what a great way to make some money. You know, I need to figure out how these guys are doing this. And the scripture of the text goes on to say that the apostles uh, had to sit Simon the magician down and Peter comes in and actually repent, uh, rebukes him. And tells him to repent because he wanted to buy the signs and wonders and miracle power from the apostles. He's like, hey, how do you guys do this stuff? I can make some good snake oil bucks off this, you know. And you got to realize there's also this whole dynamic going on that this is, if you read in this text, it said Samaria. Like, Samaria, you guys, you know, I know you know the story of the good Samaritan. Well, the reason why it's, Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan is because the Jews thought they were all bad Samaritans because the Samaritans were half-breeds, okay, that lived up north, and nobody liked them. And there's an ethnic thing going on, you know, and we all know how that goes down. It never goes down right. And so these Samaritans are becoming Christians, and Simon's one of them. 
what's cool is the, you know, Peter and these guys come in and say, these guys are becoming Christians. The Samaritans are becoming Christians. And you see in the early church racism and hatred and all of this vaporizing and going away in the church. People are becoming equal. And that's why Simon's huckster move here to try and get some of this power is so wrong and why he gets shut down for it. Bible scholars then say that Simon the magician was part of part of a popular Greek and Oriental or, you know, Babylon in that area, Athens and Babylon, part of a popular mystical uh, confluted bizarre philosophy of life that said there was a greater spiritual reality out there and that we are here in this sort of material, physical world and this is not really real or good. The real world is a spirit world, okay? And this was the first early heresy that Simon the Magician got to and here's your word for the day. The word is Gnostic, gnosis, where we get the word Gnosticism. Gnosis means to know. You can see in here where we get our word in English, knowledge, you know, or to know. It comes from this word gnosis. Not gnosis, it's gnosis. And I don't know when in the English language we changed out a G for a K. I, uh, it's, it's anyone's could guess, you know, how this, you know, how we know this. So um, I don't know how that happened, but the Gnostics said that they had special knowledge, that they were super knowledge people, okay? And they were smarter than everybody else, and they understood all the cosmic divine entities out there. And for 20 bucks, they'd let you know too, okay? And uh, they turned Jesus instantly into one of their demigods or sort of a demiurge or just an avatar or a spirit person. He wasn't really a physical human guy anymore. He wasn't born of Mary or anything like that. He was this spirit, right? He, and since he's a spirit, he couldn't suffer because spirits can't suffer. So he might have possessed a body, but then he took off and fled the body when he got nailed on the cross. That's one kind of way of being a Gnostic. The other way is to say like, well, since spirits can't really invade anybody, this Jesus guy was nothing. Okay? <clears throat> so the Gnostics were messing with the whole idea of like who is Jesus and turning him into not the son of God and certainly not anything where there's a creator or anything like that. He's only the spirit. And, and of course, the Gnostic thing's working, like I said, because uh, they'll tell you all about it if you pay enough money. So within a few years, this heresy is really getting entrenched sometimes in the early church. And uh, it's really turning people away from Christ. And the Gnostics are kind of these snubby elitists, right? They're money-grubbing. And, and they, they're totally unlike the rest of the church. Because the rest of the church were like Bishop Lawrence's church. It was rows of the lame and the blind and the widows and the orphans, the outcast, the leftovers. As the Apostle Paul says... We are the scum of the earth. We're the dregs of society. We're nothing special. That's what filled the church. And for a few people to come in and say, like, we're better than you, and we understand things smarter than you, and you guys are all stupid and all this stuff, and give us all your money. Like, that just wasn't going to fly. 
the first church and the church that followed that and the first and second and third generations on up there through the year 200 and 300, all of that, those Christians had to fight their way through this jungle of Gnosticism and fight with all these people who were trying to deny that Jesus was actually either a human or that he was actually the God-man, that God's spirit was upon him. And all they could do there early on is that those who had walked and talked with Jesus, they said, I ate with Jesus. I saw the guy eat food. He's real human. I, I, I walked places with him. He got tired. He laughed. He cried. He was one of us. And then, I don't know how to explain it, they'd say, but, and then he would heal people. I saw him heal blind people. I saw him raise the dead. I saw him cure people who couldn't walk. I saw him walk on water. And they just left it at that. <laughs> I don't know how you explain it. Real guy, no spirit avatar guy. And yet, I'm telling you, when he talked, it's what I knew in the back of my mind God was supposed to be like. And it seemed like somehow along there we turned God into this really mean judge, some old cranky guy who hated us all. But when Jesus spoke, it was like God loved us. Yeah, and that's the way I always thought the Creator would be, that He would be in love with His creation, us. He spoke like the Word of God, like God's own words. That's what they had to fight the Gnostics with. I don't know about you, um, but what about us today? And, and for me, I, I grew up watching a lot of Bugs Bunny, um, and I get a lot of my theology from Bugs Bunny. I also learned all about opera from Bugs Bunny, you know, <laughs> Gil the Wab, you know, and all that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, and so for those of you, perhaps even my generation or whatever, uh, we didn't have anime or anything in my day, but uh, when Daffy Duck, you know, poor Daffy Duck, which none of us feel sorry for. When Daffy Duck blew himself up or died, what happened? You had two options, right? One, either Daffy Duck, his bill uh, spun around or was on top of his head or down around his waist and his face was all blasted off and then he would walk up to Bugs Bunny and say, please, you're despicable, right? And that was what I did. The second option was for all cartoon characters, this is the theology part, for all cartoon characters, if they died... What happened? That's right. They start floating up. They get a pair of wings. They have a little halo, and they start playing the harp. And you can see through them. They're transparent. You know, and Daffy Duck says, yeah, I can only do this trick once, where he drank all the gasoline, blew himself up. Like, you know, sure. Anyway, uh, and that has invaded our theology, our, our thinking about the afterlife. In other words, Daffy Duck's a Gnostic. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, the whole thinking is like, it, the whole deal becomes like in our mindset in modern day, those things that come after life or eternal are just a spirit world. There's no real physical reality to it, okay? And, and uh, so we, we have to understand that this is what we're thinking. About. Okay, here's the way the Apostle Paul put it. And this is a little thick, especially about this time here in the morning. But so wind up your rubber band a little tighter because this is going to get heavy. Read this along with me. I mean, don't do it out loud. Let me read it to you. You try and absorb it. Paul says this, uh, speaking about what happens after we die. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed. What's the tent? 
our body. We know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, when we have taken off what, we, uh, what will not be found, we will not be found naked. I'm making it harder by not reading it well. Um, if indeed, when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. In other words, we'll be, not be without a body. Okay? Verse 4. For while we are still in this tent, this body, we groan under our burden because we wish not to be unclothed, but to be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body right now, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. You're like, what? This is heavy stuff. And I'll tell you what makes it heavy. The heavy part is, is because we are imposing our Daffy Duck thinking onto this text and not reading just as simple as it is. See, the simplicity of it is, is that we long to be clothed for a new body, not to become spirits. It says, that's what he says. We want to become clothed. We, we do not want to be found naked. Now, our culture, with its daffy duckness, okay, has taken this, and when we read it, we say like, yeah, but it also says like, we're just going to get swallowed up, and we're going to be gone, and, uh, and we won't have a body. Not true. You, the words are right there in front of you. See, what we're all living with is not only, not only a split universe teaching from the 3rd century B.C. from Plato, who said spirit things are good and material physical things like your body is bad, okay? And we all will evolve someday when we die. We'll become immortal and that's good, but right now we're all bad. That's what was behind a lot of this Gnosticism stuff from 3rd century Plato. But not only that, but that stuff had grown into Dante's Inferno from the 13th century, Okay, and Dante's Inferno was the first real popular book that people could read. It was actually written in Italian. And in that, you had good people go up to heaven through various levels, and bad people go down to hell. And you're like, well, what's wrong about that? Like, it, precisely, that's what we all think now. And it all came out of these various images of sort of a split world where spirit is unreal, but maybe more real because it's spirit and so it's good. And the material stuff is bad. It has nothing to do with the idea in Christianity of the thing called the resurrection. The resurrection of the body. In the resurrection, all of us then, all of us get a newly made body. It is somehow your same body, but it has been remade out of the same material. Okay? This is what's going on. God is saying, Paul is saying here, that God has your new body, which somehow is still your existing body, in a place called heaven. And it's not actually a physical geographic place as much as it is with God. I'm just getting this thicker and thicker, aren't I? See, rather than being a daffy duck floating off into heaven, 
Heaven, in Paul's words here, is not the place where we go when we die, like all of us think so quickly. It's not the place we go where we die, but rather it's the place where God has our future bodies already in store for us. Our present house or tent or body is not done away with or destroyed. It is rather replaced. It is rather re-embodied. Not resuscitated, not propped up like we're all a bunch of zombies, okay, undead. But instead, like the Creator, somehow it is remade. This is such a far cry from some sort of willy-nilly, transparent, vaporous, Gnostic, daffy duckness. And I know I'm now going to speak the most heretical words that I've ever spoken in this past month. But Star Wars is wrong, okay? Yes, I know, they're getting up and leaving. (laughs) Yes, Star Wars has bought into this whole thing too, and it also is based on, uh, you know, good George Lucas and all this. It's based on these other, these Eastern religions, all right? Manichaeism, Zoroasterism, and a bunch of other isms out there that come from the Oriental world, where this Gnosticism stuff also kind of comes from, because, you know, when you die in Star Wars, what happens to you? Well, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you can kind of see through him. And then Yoda comes along, and you can see through both of them. And they're kind of joining the force. And there's this super mysterious thing out there, the spirit world, the Malachorians, or whatever they're called, something like that. Obviously, I've watched way too much of this. And, um, but not as much as some other pastors around here. <laughs> and um, so when you lose your body in that sort of idea, you know, you become this spirit thing. Do you know in Great Britain in the year 2000, they, a group fought to put on the census an alternative religion called Jedi? It is the number one choice in alternative religions on, the, on Great Britain's census. I'm a Jedi. Dude, get out of the way. I get on the bus. You know, like, no, man, I'm a Jedi. So, you know, you don't think, like, this doesn't invade our very thinking and culture, everything from Daffy Duck to Star Wars? How we think about the afterlife and how we think about our reality now and what our life is worth is very important. And Christians have been fighting this forever, is what I'm getting at. So here's how this plays out. If you think that when you die, you go off as a spirit with your harp and your angels, okay, and your little halo. And this world vaporizes and is destroyed and burned up to a crisp and disappears. If you think that's the way it is, then there is no reason why you would want to help the poor or worry about greenhouse gases or worry about feeding starving children or anything else. All you want to do then is go out and preach a gospel to try and save someone's little transparent spirit thingy out of their body because the rest of it is going to burn and disappear. And you find Christians doing this sort of thing, and it's really, really close to being Gnosticism. (laughs) But if you believe in resurrection, that Jesus walked on the earth after he was stone cold dead, and he had wounds in his hands and his feet and his side and his scalp and from the thorns and all the rest of that, and yet the wounds didn't kill him, And he could eat and move about and be touched by Thomas. If you think that, then we have work to do now. 
because scripture says that Jesus will return. And all of the early church said, when I come back, you should have the place ready. <laughs> you should be preparing. Prepare, prepare, prepare. And what does it look like? It's like St. Lawrence. Gather in the lame, the widow, the orphan, the blind. Live amongst them. You who are rich, share with those who are poor. Take care of those who don't have blankets. Feed people. Fight against injustice. Now, does this mean we don't believe in heaven? No, not at all. We certainly believe in heaven. But heaven begins now. But then it is consummated when Jesus returns. You are already an immortal being. <laughs> now, I don't, that's nothing astounding because almost all the world believes in life after death. But it does matter whether or not you believe in just sort of being a Daffy Duck, Obi-Wan Kenobi, life after death, or if you actually believe like Jesus' life after death. This very sort of orthodox Christianity where Jesus is a real physical person, where Jesus comes back, where we are preparing the world. So when Jesus gets back, we don't say like, hey, when are you going to get rid of me off this sort of stinking planet, this hellhole we all live in? Instead, Jesus is going to say, like, no, I told you you were supposed to be preparing it. You were supposed to turn it into the kingdom of God. And the Holy Spirit has been present with you, guiding you. You should be listening to it. How's it going? <laughs> the good thing is, around Lakeland, I hope, we're doing a pretty good job. we got a lot of room to, you know, improve and so forth and a lot more work to do. Next week is All Saints Day, where we remember all those who have gone before us, and we kind of draw a big inspiration from them. We're going to focus on one guy next week, St. Francis of Assisi, you know. And uh, so if you want to Google St. Francis of Assisi this week and kind of get up on it, that'd be great. He's called the last Christian, you know, because he just, in 13th century, the guy transformed Christianity from what it was. But we'll talk about that next week. So we're at this time of year, we're talking about the saints and those who have gone before us. And so we want to remember those around the world that are doing this sort of thing. And we want to get our beliefs right and not drift off in some Daffy Duck, Daffy Duck, Obi-Wan Kenobi stuff, you know. And we want to make sure we get this thing going, right? And then we have to pray for people like Pastor Wood and, and Pastor Leo and all the rest of these guys. And us too. We have to pray for them. And we also have to remember that this, this very weekend while we're here... Some people aren't here right now because they jumped on a plane and went down to Juarez, Anapra, Mexico to hang out with people that you guys are providing rice and beans for just to be with them. And they scrambled together a bunch of money and built them a library that now the government is using the library, the local schools, because the schools don't have any books. But you guys provided books. They're bringing in entire classes of children into a little tiny library in Anapra, which just a few years ago was the most violent place on the earth. Now I think it's Honduras, I just heard. Because of you guys. And they're just going down there, and they took their kids with them, little kids with them. You're like, you guys are crazy. And you're like, yes, yes they are. And we should all be that crazy. But people are doing this sort of thing and doing bold things to go and serve the poor and take care of people all in the name of Jesus. And some of you need to go to Juarez, Anapra, Mexico. Some of you need to work with Veronica's Voice, if you don't already, the organization here in town that gets women out of the sex trafficking oppression. They spent all day yesterday working on this sort of thing. 
Yesterday, a group of guys went down to the inner city and rehabbed a house, and some of you need to do that. All around the church, this sort of thing is going on. I feel good because I think Lakeland is preparing, preparing, preparing for Jesus' return, for a very real, physical return. Not some spirity thing. The best thing we can do at this moment is turn ourselves over to God. And Jason and these guys are going to sing a song, and we'll put the words in the corner of the screen. And it's a prayer time. And the song talks about words and how words can be bad or words can be good. They can tear down or they can build up. And the song talks about, like, let my words, God, let my words be only the things that edify you, the only the things that cause me to follow you. And so I'm going to turn it over to these guys, and then we're going to wrap things up right after that. So we can actually pray these words as you see them on the screen. All right? Would you guys stand with me, please? And we'll end with a good word. Really, uh, the, the old ancient Celtic blessing, which we've come to love around here at Lakeland, uh, reinvigorated by North Umbria in uh, Upper Great Britain. And just before we do this all together, um, remember our brothers and sisters around the world this week and in our own community and the struggles they go through and pray for their bravery and their courage. Well, let's just pray now. God, we pray for uh, people like Pastor Wood. We pray for uh, people like Jessica and Steve and everyone else in this church that are going out and doing something. Give them courage and strength and stamina. Let them take care of their heart. Lord, give them courage. Let them know that you're behind them. And we all said amen to that. And now let us end with this blessing to each other. Join me. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.